All views and opinions expressed in this podcast may lead to learning. All information provided is for educational and developmental purposes only and is not intended to be a substitute for a growth mindset. Before taking action, please consult your motivation. This is the Teacher Talking Time Podcast. When I heard about Redding's talk mm. and, and Scott Donnelly's talk, I was just very excited by it because it suddenly felt like someone was sort of saying, no, that, this is the right mm. thing to do. So mm. I was p- hearing people mm. say, well, isn't it just what you do when you've, the photocopy has broken, <laughs> the buzz mm-hmm. about the talk and mm. about the articles? And, and I was sort of thinking, that's what I do when I'm not being observed. <laughs> Yeah. Um, and I think that's yeah. so true, isn't it? It's, yeah. what, it's, what, it's what I do when, yeah, when the director of studies has, isn't yeah. coming in to check yeah. on me. And that's, that's very, was very much my experience as well. Mm. I think, and this is the problem with training courses as well, it's very much based on, focused on the teacher. And a lot of teacher research is focused on the teacher. I think you know, teachers are taught, actually, to be very centred on themselves and thinking mm. about what, what they're doing mm. to the students, if you see what I mean. Yeah. In that direction, the students are the subject of of that and I, I think it was a big shift for me when I realized actually and it was working with task-based learning actually for the first time I think yeah. that really made me think it's not about my agenda it's about what they want to say and how do I help them how do I help them better do that it was, it was the moments when the student would ask a question or they'd come in and start telling you a story and mm-hmm. you'd sort of look at your watch and think okay and and but then you know five five minutes you'd get nervous then the next time ten minutes you'd get a bit nervous and, Mm. Later, it's half an hour, and you're thinking, this is really good. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Teacher Talking Time podcast. To those of you who are new, each episode of our podcast is devoted to bringing the most recent, most innovative, and most insightful research applications into teacher education, language teaching, and language education. And if you are also new to our Learn Your English community, I have to tell you more about our new Teacher Accelerator program, which is our online program for teachers all around the world who want to eliminate lesson planning, reach and help more students, teach less, earn more money, without, of course, sacrificing work-life balance. Our programs help teachers reflect and develop in the most important skills they need to succeed in the information age. And it's just like your teaching isn't for everyone. Our program isn't for everyone. It's for someone. The program has four pillars of successful design. We have a community. We have live sessions. We have self-paced learning. And more importantly, we have lots, lots of feedback. Does this sound like you? Are you a teacher who wants to implement dogme and task-based learning in your teaching? Do you want to eliminate lesson planning? Do you want to help more students, but also work less? Do you want to transition from selling your time, teaching one-to-one, to actually focusing on outcomes and selling results? Do you want to be a business owner and not an employee? And more importantly, do you want to build and scale your teaching business? If this sounds like you, then you have a great opportunity here. Just head over to our website, learnyourenglish.net slash schedule and book a meeting with us. We would love to have a conversation about your current situation and whether we can help you with any of these things. 
really excited to invite Richard Chin and Danny Norrington Davies on the show today. They are the co-authors of brand new book, Working with Emergent Language. And if you're interested in emergent language at all, want to learn or continue using it in your classes, we definitely recommend picking up uh, a copy of the book. The link is just in the show notes below. Richard Chin is an experienced teacher and teacher educator based in the UK. He works at International House London, where he trains teachers on initial and in-service teacher development courses. He's also a teaching associate at King's College London, where he works on MA and BA courses. Richard has taught all over the world and trains teachers in a number of countries in Europe, Africa, Asia, and Central and South America, as well as the Middle East. He regularly presents at conferences and delivers workshops to teachers and trainers, including one here at Learn Your English just a few months ago. His main professional interests are in classroom interaction, teacher education, and teacher development. Danny Norrington Davies has 25 years of experience as an English language teacher and 15 years as a trainer. His qualifications include the Cambridge Cert TEFL, Cambridge Delta, and an MA in English Language Teaching and Applied Linguistics, for which he received a distinction. He's also an experienced conference speaker and has written articles on aspects of teaching and teacher training for outlets like ETP, Folio, HLT Magazine, and The Teacher Trainer. Danny's first book, Teaching Grammar, From Rules to Reasons, was published by Pavilion in 2016, which quickly became a bestseller and was shortlisted for a British Council Innovations in Teaching Resources Award in 2018. Danny now works on CELTA and DELTA courses, as well as running training courses in the UK and overseas. We're very excited for this episode and are very grateful to Richard and Danny for their time. And with all of that said, let's dive into the episode right now. All right, Richard and Danny, welcome to the show. And first of all, I'd like to say thank you for um, taking the time to chat with us. I know, you know, time zones and uh, scheduling and everything in COVID now, apparently. Yeah, yeah it's, it's back here. It's, it's back here as well. <laughs> but it's lovely to be here with you. And thanks for inviting yeah, us to come and talk you. about something we're both really passionate about. Yeah. And I thought we would start right from the beginning. Perhaps we could talk more about your early experiences teaching and even writing. Mm. But how did you... How did you two get into teaching um, ESL, EFL, English in general? You, you, you started um, before me, you start, Danny. I did. So, yeah, <laughs> mid 90s. <laughs> yeah, um, I, I'd, I'd done a, a little bit of teaching already and I quite liked it. I was actually planning to be a gardener. Uh, and <laughs> so I, I had the choice of going to evening school to be a gardener uh, or um, do the do the CELTA called CERT back then. Um, and I just I chose the teaching because I thought I'd, I'd I thought I'd enjoy it. And right. I did. I, I got work pretty much straight away in London and, and just carried on. Yeah, it's 27 years now. Wow. Yeah. Um, and so gardening is now a hobby. Um, OK. Teaching the job. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, uh, gosh, a little bit after you, but uh, early 2000s, I'd, I'd finished drama school, uh, so I was, I was an aspiring actor, mm -hmm. but uh, there isn't much work for actors, as <laughs> you can probably guess, so I, 
um, I was doing that kind of charity mugging in the street, you know, where you stand in the street and try and get people to give you money. Okay. And I, did you do that as well? I did that. Really? Yes, yeah, yeah. yeah. You had a yeah. drama degree. And I had a drama degree. <laughs> <laughs> so it's interesting where these yeah, you end up. Yeah. And I didn't really know what to do. So I was teaching a bit of drama to kids. And I think somebody suggested uh, I really needed to find something to do to earn mm. a bit of cash. And somebody suggested <laughs> doing a TEFL course. Uh, and I did a, a Trinity cert TESOL because it was cheaper than the CELTER at mm. International House. I, I couldn't afford that at the time on my out of uh, work actor um, uh, budget. And um, yeah, I mean, I, again, I, I finished, I got work quite quickly, but I mm. wasn't really looking for it. And actually, the it's become a friend now. The, the school I first worked at was a small school in North London. And I kind of got nagged into into doing the job but you know I really, mm. really wasn't that bothered to be honest yeah. uh but yeah and I, I found I enjoyed it and it took me a couple of years I, I traveled a bit with it um did some volunteering work in Costa Rica and I think it was after that that I decided that that's what I wanted to do as a job and I came back and did the Delta yeah. Yeah. I, I think it was getting jobs in small schools yeah that kind of if you're one of eight teachers or seven teachers right they just keep you on and you you become a little family and <laughs> and I, I remember first school I was there for about eight years loved it I started teaching nice. in Costa Rica as well Danny that's actually interesting Did you? yeah oh, and no. it was exactly this where, where were you I was, I was right in, in San Jose right in right in the capital mm. yeah um, I didn't go to the beach I, I wanted to but then everyone tells you well you can but there's no jobs <laughs> at the beach so you got to be where the people are which obviously makes sense same story mm. you know went for six months and six months turned into like three and a half years because you just kind of stay on and as you stay on you get more responsibility and, and as you go right yeah, mm, yeah right. definitely mm. what's interesting is that there's clearly a lot of similarities between what you guys were saying and Andrew, i don't know if you remember this when we interviewed scott he also had a background in drama and he wanted to be a drama teacher or an actor or something and then he eventually stumbled upon becoming a teacher so there's so there's clearly some sort of influence in 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 the kind of work that you kind of you, you both do right now with uh work with emerging language and all that so um, i'm very curious to hear more about your your influences on on teaching and education, like who else influenced your views on on teaching, and what particularly about these people were you drawn to? I suppose to, to get into that one, it's uh, we were talking about this the other day. Yeah, what, yeah. You know, where were we after? You know, what were we doing when we first started teaching? I think you know, back to my cert TESOL course, it was very traditional back mm -hmm. in the two thousands, mm -hmm. like your one. So yeah, it was PPP, yeah. and I remember them drawing a triangle <laughs> on the board. And it was divided into three bits with the you know pre presentation at the beginning, the control practice in the middle and the free practice at the end. And there was no real room for anything emergent or feedback in that particular model. And that's kind of what I thought teaching was. And you had to follow that. Right. Um, so it took a while, I think, to start moving away from that, I think, for me. I think so. Yeah. I, I We were talking about my Delta and I, I, I just did very sort of real PPP lessons. I can remember remember the language point it was present perfect and you know they they read a text and then i did a what do we call it a sort of generic guided discovery mm. activity and they discovered what i wanted them to discover and, uh, yes uh, and then they, they answered all the questions i wanted them to answer in the control practice and then they had exactly the conversation i wanted them and and everything seemed fine and i and but i think it was when it was after weirdly it was after my delta when i started going to conferences mm. and and meeting other people and seeing people talk about doing things differently. And one of them was Scott Thornbury actually mm. talking about uh, emergent language. And it was kind of, I actually wasn't at the talk, but it was, I, it was the buzz mm -hmm. about the talk and mm. about the articles. And, and I was sort of thinking, that's what I do when I'm not being observed. 
Um, and that's so yeah. true, isn't it? It's, yeah. what, it's, what, it's what I do when, yeah, when the director of studies hasn't, isn't yeah. coming in to check yeah. on me. And that's, that's very, was very much my experience as well. Mm. And it kind of, I remember seeing Luke Meddings do a talk at a school I taught at in Birmingham for a while. And uh, um, it was really interesting because you know, Luke gave a, gave a name to something mm. that mm. happened in my class that I, I thought was a bit throwaway. And I didn't think, I, I didn't think it was, it was very important, but it was something that we did. Do you remember what that was? The emergent language, it's basically right. not using the course book and not yeah, and, and yeah. not focusing on the target language right. and just teaching the student, mm. like basically working with what the students were saying and reformulating right. what they were saying yeah, yeah. and putting it on the board. <laughs> it, was, it was the moments when the student would ask a question or they'd come in and start telling you a story and mm-hmm. you'd sort of look at your watch and think, okay. And, and But then, you know, five, five minutes you'd get nervous, then the next time, 10 minutes, you'd get a bit nervous. And, mm. Later, it was half an hour, and you're thinking, "This is really good." And it's, it's suddenly really you realize, interesting. You're, you're, yeah, your leadens kind of suddenly become a much more interesting lesson than the one that was in Headway, <laughs> uh, which is quite remember using yeah, a lot yeah. of the time. But your attitude changes because in the at first, it's kind of you go in the staff and you're like, "Oh, we had such a nice conversation. Everything I planned, I can now use tomorrow." Yeah, I never thought about what they'd learnt or no, right? Uh, you know, and and but I, I if I'd looked behind me later on and thought, seen the board. Um, it was mm. full of language, all sort right. of stuff that was coming up, but I'd never thought of it as Lexis and emerging language, and it just was time past talking. And uh, I think, yeah, and I think I saw the value, started seeing the value in it with the students enjoying it, yeah. Yeah. and mm. the students wanting more of that and saying that they enjoyed the lessons. Um, and I, but it's interesting the thing you said about the language on the board. Yeah, mm. my, my board was full of language, but I didn't really do much with it. No. Occasionally no. we'd recall something that had gone up there, but it was it was wasn't there was nothing systematic about it. Right. Yeah. Um, but I think it was like you know certainly I think for me again you know, the whole dogma movement and mm. you know, Luke talk and then mm. you know reading some of Scott's stuff uh, that started to get me thinking about you know what 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 happens in classroom interaction. Yeah. And, and actually on a. You know, you know, on a, on a larger scale, what happen, how does learning happen and language mm-hmm. learning within that? Mm-hmm. So I think that's really what, what, I, what got, kind of got the ball rolling for me and, and getting me to think about what I was doing in my classes yeah. and what the value of it was. It's, it's interesting because there's a lot of similarities between what we're talking about here and what the conversation that we had with Scott. And I think Andrew's probably thinking mm-hmm. about the same thing. Um, we had a long conversation because he also started IH London yeah. and he was talking about like he was teaching a lesson in an old room that used to be like a like a janitor's room or, a something. Closet or something, a closet yeah. or something. Yeah. And he wasn't being observed. And so there are a lot of similarities there. So I think the question that I have for both of you is what was, can you, can you recall that moment when you decided to like move away from PPP and try something a little more reactive, something a little more like what I, what we call just in time, like just teaching at the point of need. Cause mm-hmm. Danny mentioned something about his attitude changing. Like what changed exactly? Mm. I think it's weird. We we say at the beginning of the book that we didn't set out to change. We just right. changed. And and it's that so one day you're sort of thinking, I'm doing mm. things really differently from the way I was taught. And and you you can't sort of think about when no one told me to change. Mm. It it just happened. I, I totally agree. I think for me it was, it was a very gradual thing. Mm. I, I can only remember when I came to IH London, which was 12, 13 years ago, and I it was when I was in my first mm. year here, and I actively, when Chia was working here as mm. well, there was a kind of dogma group of teachers that were very into, you know, you know stripping everything back and getting rid of the course book mm. in, in quite a, a, in a very 
um, extreme dogma way. And that's the only time I remember actively experimenting with mm, getting rid of the mm. course book. And I think, you know, it didn't always work for me, actually, that. And, and I found that actually students didn't always like it, actually. That, that was the weird thing. If, if you think, right, I'm going to try this dogma thing. And you'd go in and, and you'd kind of think, well, what are we going to talk about? <laughs> and it's like, but when I... Or, or kind of exhausted because, yeah, because you've been desperately trying for things yeah. to emerge. I think that's a, there's a danger in that. And that's, yeah. that's a, a problem with, the, with what I experience with those kind of very deep end uh, unplugged lessons that aren't naturally mm. that organic because you, they stop being organic when you start... Uh, You're forcing with, it. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Forcing, yeah, yeah. Forcing the interaction. Yeah. And actually, sometimes it, I think it was just the prompts that students would give you. I think maybe that's something you notice. I, they ask more questions. When, you, when you're letting things emerge mm. and there's a lot more sort of, oh, Danny, what does this mean? Or how do I say this? Or I saw this on a tube this morning. What does that mean? And, and you're thinking, well, I'm, I'm, it's their agenda so much more. Mm. And, and then you just read about it more and more and you realise people have been talking about it, but it never, it never got to you. I mean, it's, it's interesting, isn't it? I think that thing about agenda, and it, that's mm. something I'd never, this, this is, was, was a, certainly a shift for me, because I think, and this is the problem with training courses as well, it's mm. very much based on, focused on the teacher, and a lot of teacher research is focused on the teacher, it's not right. interaction fully, yeah, yeah. and the role of the learners as well, it's very much about the teacher's behaviour, certainly into an area that Daniel and I are interested in, classroom interactional competence, and emergent mm. language, you know, fits in there somewhere. Yeah. Um, it's very focused on the teacher, and I think, you know, teachers are taught actually to be very centered on themselves and thinking mm. about what, what they're doing mm. to the students if you see what I mean yeah. uh, in that direction the students are the subject of of that and I, I think mm. it was a big shift for me when I realized actually and it was working with task-based learning actually for the first time I think yeah. that really made me think it's not about my agenda it's about what they want to say and how do I help them how do I help them better do that mm. you said something interesting earlier where you said the talk you saw of, of, of Luke's talk Mm. kind of put a name or a title to something you felt you were already doing and we hear that a lot from teachers that we talk to when we describe mm. you know dogma techniques or we describe mm. emergent mm. language and there's like oh i already do that mm. and there's all these like business proverbs of you know something that we think is really boring and easy someone would pay a lot of money for because when you know how to do something it seems easy to you but there's always someone who mm. doesn't know how to do that mm. is it was that luke talk like was that like a validating moment? Like, is that like we're seeing other people who are renowned and like know what they're doing, talk about the same thing that I'm already doing. And did that like validate I, what you felt you were already and give you confidence to keep doing it? Do you know what? It didn't. It did the opposite, actually. We, <laughs> and, I, and Luke's a really good friend of mine. He's coming to talk at our conference uh, here at International House on the 12th of November. And, um, you know, so, so I, and I, I talked to Luke about this as well, because I don't think I was ready to really understand what he was saying. And mm. it, along, it didn't validate okay. it. I think actually we thought, oh, you're just basically saying that we don't need to make lesson plans. Great, okay, that's a cop out. <laughs> and I think that we, we took it quite ironically, you know, um, at the time. Um, and I think it took a little while to actually realize the more and more I looked into it then and mm, understood yeah. what it was actually labeling. Mm. So it was more of a process, I think, rather than a kind of road to Damascus mm. moment, I suppose, with emergent language. Yeah, I would say my, reading of task-based learning was the one where I, I really felt validated because it's sort of I know it's it's slightly counter to what we're saying is you're giving them a task so you know, right. something to do but just seeing students really really interacting and working what they get with what they give you that was the sort of the the where I felt I had a 
a, a sort of placeholder for what I was doing. And but when I heard about um, Luke Medding's talk mm. and, and Scott Thornbury's talks, I was just very excited by it because it suddenly felt like someone was sort of saying, no, that this is the right mm. thing to do. <laughs> and uh, not, yeah, but people were also mm. people, as I said, I hadn't actually been to the talk. So mm. I was pe hearing people mm. say, well, isn't it just what you do when you've the photocopy is broken <laughs> or people can't be bothered to find a lesson. The business teacher like, saying, you know, we always do yeah, that. That's, yeah. what, that's what we do not want to one lesson. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So what is it that's this notion of like, like this kind of teaching, reactive teaching of like, we still talk to teachers. And I'm sure you do too. And maybe at, at that time as well, it feels like, you know, when the, when the DOS isn't looking, this is what I do. And when someone's mm -hmm. not watching and kind of like, this is how I teach in secret. Like, mm -hmm. how do we, like is it do you think it's still that way or like we lazy teaching all these things come out i'm not planning i'm a lazy teacher like I all think these first, notions still first, exist, right? yeah i think firstly we've got to think about you know what is emergent language you know and and it's 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 a natural part of the learning process when anyone's learning a language mm. um you know anyone who's learning any language and ever learned any language in the past some of it will be you know, mm. quite a great deal of it will be an emergent it, it would be the things that you come into contact with uh, that can be emergent, whether that's through input or it could be the things that are reformulated by an mm -hmm. interlocutor. Mm -hmm. So emergent language is always there in the learning process. So I think it's incredible that there's been so little written about yeah. it. Mm -hmm. It's all focused on error correction rather than looking at all the other forms of emergent mm -hmm. language that happen. Right. For example, the teacher feeding something in when they see that there's an opportunity to do that, to you know push the learners on developmentally, responding to a learner's question when they don't know something. Yeah. Um, right. you know, maybe something pops up and comes up in class um, that suddenly the students find interesting. Yeah. Um, it was what was it? I saw one the other day. I was watching a CELTA class a couple of months ago, and there was a, a French guy, and he was he was trying he's trying to say scammers, scammers take your money, mm. and the other students in the class, pre-intermediate level, didn't know what this meant. So this had emerged. Now he knew what it meant, and actually the CELTA CELTA new, new CELTA teacher, you know, only a couple of TPs in, was forced by the group to then have to. Uh, look at take that piece of language and look at mm. it and clarify it mm. uh for, for the other students in the class so i think you know we've got to look at really you know emergent language as uh, a natural part of the learning process mm. and, that, and that does need validating because mm. there needs to be room in lessons where we respond to that natural process of learning yeah. mm. it's interesting you guys mentioned this because i i think we interviewed anthony goggin very recently mm -hmm. as well for the podcast and he was talking about transforming a celta Yes, Moving away the CELTA into like a more prescribed kind of course where you're just basically using PPP into something more unprescribed with more dogmatic experiences and things like that. So I think the question that I have for both of you, because you both do CELTA and Delta training, what is the influence of these pre-service courses on teachers not feeling validated to teach in a more organic way? Because I find that Again, and Andrew and I talk up to a lot of teachers um, over the last couple of weeks, and a lot of them say to us, you know, I finished my CELTA, but the way I plan lessons is just not sustainable. I can't yeah. keep planning lessons like this. So what is the influence of these pre-service courses on? I, I think that there can be a lot of a focus on aims, and that's partly because you're always producing this planning document right. uh, to go with the lesson mm. you've designed. And so you've kind of, got to reach this endpoint. I think on CELTA, one of the issues is their team teaching. So you've got teacher A does 40 minutes, they've got to read the text and answer the comprehension questions. And so their aim is understand the text. 
And then the next teacher is introducing this language point because that's part of the criteria on the course. So it, I think it's this sort of aims focused um, mm. syllabus and, and Delta is the same and perhaps worse. And I'm doing a Delta at the moment and I, <laughs> and I always feel like a bit of a fraud because I'm telling them about emergent language and they're going, yes, but what about my aim? That, you know, because you've got to write this essay on relative clauses and then your aim is to understand and use and then, uh, then yeah. the complication on top, there is a criteria yeah, that yeah, says, you know, yeah. to work with, with respond to learners' mm -hmm. emerging needs. And mm -hmm. actually, we're telling them to do that, but then we're forcing them to, to do something that's very yeah, target yeah, language yeah. aimed. Right. So yeah. there's, there's a kind of tension between those so we, elements. We, we tell them to do a 50-minute lesson, to plan a 50-minute lesson, and they have 10 minutes for emergent language. And, and what tends to happen, because they often plan too much, is... They're still battling to, to, to do this in the practice. hour to, to get, yeah. And, and it was interesting, I, I complained to, Adrian Underhill was a trustee at International mm. House, and he came to observe me doing a session on Delta, and I, I sort of apologised to him for, for kind of saying, well, you know, I'm telling them they've got to achieve these aims. And he said, oh, no, don't worry about that. It's, uh, you may not like the game, but they've just got to learn how to play it. <laughs> and it's... And and so I say that to them now and say, you know, right. you, but I want, but I say I want, I want to see you react. So what we tell there is a criteria now on on um, Delta um, okay. where you can talk about how they respond to emergent language. And what I try to do is write down as as many of the interactions that, mm. that are responsive. So I can say, I like the way you're doing this. So they because I think I think we're we view the training we do in emergent language on CELTA and DELTA is, is speeding up the process. You're telling them it's okay, because mm, yeah. you found in your dissertation at King's mm. that a lot of people were thinking it wasn't sort of allowed, there wasn't time, it, mm. it's not what students wanted. And To throw away one, one person said, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> but to prove to them it's not, to prove to them that there is time, and that even within a lesson with strict aims, mm. that there are moments. I mean, we've gone about addressing it on because this is an issue. I mean, with the, with these initial training courses and and you know courses like the Delta Diploma level courses that they are very focused on this. But we've we have tried to address it. And mm -hmm. for example, on on the CELTAs that I run, you know, we've uh, Melissa Lamb and I, and, and I think you've done a similar thing with text mm -hmm. as well. We've worked with task based learning as a model to start with. Yeah. Um. You know, because that's the most intuitive way of mm -hmm. actually looking at what happens when we use language by mm -hmm. creating a task for class. Um. And I start from the beginning with the focus on the learner assignment and it's all about tuning into the learners. Mm -hmm. So they're given various tasks and we do that from day from day one. We talk about we listen to a learner speaking and we we tune into what they're saying and then we go back and we listen again and we look at, right. you know, language that's in there. And we do the same on uh, same on Delta, only, only a little bit more detail. We look at a bit more classroom interaction. Yeah. And then there's the PDA, obviously the professional development assignment right. on Delta where. Yeah. You know, you can design tasks. And I think actually this, when I first worked with you on Delta that I saw some tasks that were so, focused yeah, on yeah. that kind of interaction. So right at the beginning, I'm giving them tasks so that when they observe each mm. other, they're commenting on how they interact with the students. Right. And it's things like, how, do, how am I dealing with errors? Am I showing interest in what they're saying? Uh, how do I reformulate interesting language? Do I give them alternative ways mm. of saying the same things? And, and they say, oh, all I'm doing is echoing. How do I stop? And so and when, when they're filling it, filling in things for each other and watching it from the sidelines, mm. you know, um, they can note down, you know, what are the learners responses to it as well. So it's not all teacher focus. It actually brings it. Right. To, is there uptake by the learners? Do they nod? Do they write it down? Do they respond in some sort of um, mm. positive way to it? Mm. Yeah. Does, does part of this 
you know, kind of, I guess, issue, maybe is the word, revolve around the idea that learning happens in a room with four walls and a roof and these kinds <laughs> of things. Well, we talked to Luke, I remember, Leo, he talked about this yes. vision of a school that he had at the very beginning mm. that was open concept, didn't have any doors, didn't uh, have yeah. any walls, just to like have this No idea. levels, yeah. No levels. Yeah. I don't think it was very successful, as he said, but like, that's <laughs> the concept, right? Like, mm. of teachers trying to cram in, and we talk, Leo, we talk to teachers all the time, where we give them ideas and they say, oh, Andrew, like, I can't do this in 45 minutes. Like, that's not the point. Like, that's yeah, not how yeah, learning happens. Yeah. Learning doesn't happen for a 45-minute segment. It happens all mm. the time. Yeah. So it was part of this, the idea that learning only happens in a classroom. Mm. I think, it's, you know, we're, we're kind of confined to those four walls. So that's what we have, this kind of what we have to work with. And it's a bit like you talked about Anthony's um, experiment. I saw his talk um, uh, at the Hamburg School of English, I think they were at the time. And it was, it was for me, I was I just trained up as a CELTA trainer and it was so exciting seeing their talk. It was a brilliant presentation. But I've worked in very few centres that have had the flexibility that, An, uh, that Anthony and I think Izzy, his colleague, had mm. um, in being able to really, you know, tear it up and and, and start again mm. um you know for example here at international house we're, we're very much we can we, we can we can change things it's certainly i think we've got quite very modern courses mm. um here but we're we're restricted to the tutors hours that they're available for mm. uh the times of the course that need to fit into a particular way because it's a language school and we've got classes happening right so mm. there are a lot of constraints that i think limit what we can do mm. but i think that's where you know dogma really ended up and uh, you know, I think Scott says in his book on last book on method and different methods. Is it thirty methods? Is it that book? Mm -hmm. uh, you know, he talks about dogma moments. That yeah, you know, yeah. And this idea we've kind of moved on in our book. We've we've called them emergent language moments. Mm -hmm. You know, it's those moments in class where you really respond to what the learners are saying, and then you help them with what what mm -hmm. what they're finding tricky, or you feed something in that might be useful to them. Right. On courses as well, like the Delta I'm doing at the moment, and on CELTA, we also look at things that sort of prevent emergent language from happening so i'll say if if a trainee is or a teacher on a delta is using a text and they've designed some questions and they're all closed questions i'll say nothing's going to come out of no. this it's mm. you know the answers why don't you ask a question like do you agree with the writer or what would you have done if you'd been the writer i said then you'll get these little moments they're reading mm. the text mm. they're doing exactly what you want them to do but they're responding in their own way and this, uh, it's creating that condition where you if you if you encourage more interpretation of a text, yeah. mm -hmm. more higher order thinking, then they've got mm -hmm. to actually use more language in order to do it, which creates a yeah. gap mm -hmm. that you're then able to work with. But it can be scary for teachers. But unless you actually create that gap, as mm -hmm. you say, it's, it's, it doesn't work. So basically, in a way, I think perhaps uh, I don't know if you guys are going to agree with me on this one. But when I think about dogma, when I think about working with emergent language, when I think about reactive teaching, I always tell people it's about your ability to become a much better listener mm, yes and asking good questions mm. is is that what you you would recommend to a teacher who wants to start working with emergent language it's a big part of the book mm. um we we um, give them a the reader will get a series of tasks mm -hmm. and the first ones are all about tuning in uh, and so it's mm. telling the teacher don't worry about what you're hearing at the moment just hear it Right. So they're doing tasks as simple as mm. who, who said something interesting? Um, did you notice when students aren't agreeing with each other? Um, who, interesting. Who could you nominate to share? Yeah. Uh, and, and just say, do not worry about the errors. You know, and so mm. just just listening, because we think it's a little bit like learning a language. Mm -hmm. you, you've, you've got to listen. You've, mm. you, you can't listen and respond all the time. You're kind of going, what is everyone talking about? 
for a long time in your learning and I think teachers mm. need to do that I think it's that thing of just to add to that as well you know too much teacher talking time as we're often told on on, on, mm. on, on training courses mm. and uh, apart from the podcast <laughs> I, I, I love the name I think that's the thing that, that drew me to want to do this yeah. and it's like great love it um but you know we, we're told that we hear this all the time and you know often reason for that is the teachers not being comfortable enough to let the students say more or not encouraging yeah. the students yeah. to say more and jumping in and filling the silence, which yeah. is quite natural to want to do, because yeah. it's scary when you're standing yeah. there and it's gone quiet. Mm. And we've all had that thing. I have to always have to tell myself to shut yeah. up. Yeah. <laughs> and I think there's also a, a weird politeness that people have is is they don't want to they don't want to say to a student, "What do you mean?" Yeah. But we don't know what they yes. mean all the time. Yes. yes. So what? And but that outside, that's happening all the time. The frowning faces. So mm. sort of trained myself over the years to kind of go, "Sorry, what? What are you saying?" What? What do you mean? Because I think it's really, yes, really yeah. useful. And they, 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 there's a fear, isn't there, of, mm. of correcting. I've had lots of people say, and it comes from you know, an embarrassment, mm. of, of right. a fear of embarrassing the student. But actually, you know, as soon as you, you, with a little bit of intensity, you take what the student said and say, good, that's interesting, let's look at it. Mm. Um, it's, it doesn't have to be negative at all. And that's yeah. what students are paying their money for very often. Right. It's the reason they're coming yeah. to class. Yeah. They want that stretch, you know, very mm. often. If they don't want it, they'll ignore what you've just put on the board and carry on saying what they're <laughs> yeah. saying. And, you know, it's, it's very clear, but, you know, yeah. you provided an opportunity for mm. that to happen. And I think that's those yeah. learning opportunities we we, we, you know, we need to look for in class and, and make and help teachers become aware of as well, because they're not always obvious yeah. when you're in the moment. So is that how you would recommend going about, quote unquote, error correction in, in this kind of capacity? Because we, you know, teachers always mm. ask us the same thing, like how, you know, it's a big ocean of there's no one answer and it's an impossible mm. question to answer yeah. in a minute or because there's like a million research papers about error correction and this and that yes. and the other yeah. but yeah. as a you know explicit implicit correction but is yeah. implicit correction like, is just saying hey well can you give me an example of what you mean or what do you mean or can you elaborate on that is that a form of elucidating i guess maybe not correcting but elucidating their their thought it's certainly where it's certainly a way of of of, of getting more data to work with i yeah. think yeah 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 actually right. You know, and the right yeah. data to work with, because you know, sometimes you correct. Mm. Well, I see this actually all the time on sales as people correcting people. I'm thinking, I don't think that's what they're trying to say. <laughs> you know, right? They're just given something that's now grammatical. Just feeding them language. Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. And I, I think, yeah. I think it was something Jeremy Harmer said years ago on a blog post. I remember reading it. it was his big criticism of mm. uh, when you know emergent language being talked talked about for the first time, mm. and it, his criticism. I think it was. I hope, sorry, Jeremy, if I'm if I'm wrongly uh, accusing you of this, but it it was that you know teachers often give students the wrong reformulations or mm. something like that. And, uh, you know, it, there is a danger of that. So you do need to check. And it's it's back to negotiation of meaning, the kind of negotiation right. of meaning that happens between learners. In this case, the, inter the interaction between teacher and, and learner, you need mm. to, it's about finding out what they actually need help with. Yeah, yeah. And I mean, there's theoretical support for it. I think Ellis, isn't it, who talks about mm. if you, if you mm. give someone mm. what they need at the point they need it, mm -hmm. it's much more durable. It's much more likely to stick. And And we've been researching this for a long time I've got about 12 hours of myself teaching and <laughs> I, I'm very explicit with my corrections I I, uh. I, I, I don't know I'm not stopping people speaking but I'm kind of sorry what do you mean there ah no you mean and we switch and then the conversation gets back right on track and it doesn't ever seem to stop mm. the flow mm. because there is no flow right that's what that's what inter cultural community well, that's what learning a language is it's what learning a language is yeah yes. yeah let's take a quick break we'll be right back
All right, and welcome to another interview with uh, Teacher Accelerator member and Jessica Diaz. Thanks for joining us today. And thank you for inviting me. When you have only one one on one lessons, one to one, there's a limit. You're gonna have a limit of students, and even if you have like twenty students, that's too much. You're gonna be overworked and overwhelmed. That's not something that I wanted. I'm not leaving school to be overworked with something that's gonna leave me trapped again. That's that's the thing of having your online course because you can be at the beach selling your course. This being overworked took, took a toll on my mental health. So I was like, I want to have time to go to the gym, to spend time with my family, with my friends. And I wasn't able to do that. I wanted to help more students and I also wanted to have more time for myself and also to develop myself as a professional because I wanted to read more. I wanted to take other courses. There's so much things uh, in the tap course. Hey everyone, this is Andrew from Learn Your English. Thanks for listening to this episode of Teacher Talking Time. We work hard to produce a show that's theoretical, practical, and hopefully interesting. But, you know, not everything fits into a podcast format. And we've been working hard behind the scenes on something that we're excited about. And we hope you are too. And we're happy to share it with you right now. But first, let me ask you a few questions. Number one, are you a teacher with your own business? Number two, are you looking to grow that business? And number three, are you interested in doing that quickly and overcoming common pitfalls? If so, we have a new free 120-hour training that might be for you. You know, we've worked with hundreds of teachers over the years and have seen them stumble on common obstacles when it comes to business. These obstacles cause delays and stagnate growth to what would otherwise be a successful operation. And now we're happy to say that we've developed an email course to help you overcome these challenges so you can see growth in your business right away. This is a step-by-step -step email training to help you overcome the five obstacles that we've seen prevent most teachers from building their business successfully, whether you teach one-to-one -one or groups or don't have your own business yet. In this course, we look at things like business mindset, dogma ELT, and materials light teaching, attracting the right kind of client, crafting your offer, and an essential business model every teacher should use. With this, we've helped hundreds of teachers to overcome these, and now you can do it as well. To begin, just head over to our website, learnyourenglish.net slash obstacles. Once enrolled, you'll get an email from us every day for five days with strategies, tasks, and actionables to use in your business immediately. Plus, at the end, there's a little treat from the three of us. So once again, head over to learnyourenglish.net slash obstacles and get started with this free 120-hour course and see growth in your business in just five days. The link to that is also in the show notes. And now, let's get back to the show. Hey, what's up, everyone? This is Angela from Columbus, Ohio, and you're listening to Teacher Talking Time, the Learn Your English podcast. We've been talking about emerging language, so we might as well just jump right into it. So help us or help the audience better understand what emergent language is. Mm. So we have a, a working definition here. Right. We are open the slide. We've oh got, we got a backup slide. Uh, so it, it's it's coming out of interaction. That, that's right. the thing. It's it's not your it's not your planned language, your target language, your aims. Um, it's produced by learners during meaning-focused interactions. So when learners are talking together, completing tasks, 
genuine meanings when learners are interacting open class with teachers. Um, so that's the emergent language, but we've kind of extended the definition and to say that it's, it's those emergent language moments then are the moments when the teacher decides, let's do something with this. Mm. From a sim something as simple as recasting and, and just correcting a bit of pronunciation like that, um, to dealing with an error, to um, dealing with a communicative breakdown. Um, Providing them with, with extensions and mm. alternatives. Uh, you know, certainly you've got intermediate learners and above, like and giving them a, a wider variety of, of ways to say something yeah, is a way right. of introducing new language, yeah. persuading them off a plateau if they're on there, mm. or allow, giving them more options uh, of language to use, looking yeah. maybe different register, for example. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And also responses to questions. Uh, so if any time a student says, what does this mean? Or how do I say that's an emergent language moment? And sharing mm. things that you've heard. So I was on class on zoom last year going around the, the breakout rooms and and one student was just trying to explain that they weren't that they were a childminder but they weren't an au pair and they weren't a nanny so so you're a nanny no no i'm a childminder let me explain oh so you're an au pair and so the feedback is okay louis what's your job can you explain to everyone what's your job and what are you not that's emergent languages so they all learn right. about the difference between childminder, au pair, and, and what was the other one I said? Nanny. Yes. Nanny. Because yeah. that's what they're talking about. So right. let's, let's, this is, this is interesting, learnable. Mm. Sounds like yeah. conversation I have with my parents pretty frequently. Like, Andy, what, what, <laughs> what is it you do for a living? Well, actually, it's, it's so it's this. Well, no. It's <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. a negotiation. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> don't, you, don't you have to speak all their languages? Yes. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> They're only learning one. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And yeah. you can do this all from your basement. Well, yes, but actually, yeah. but mm. <laughs> there's um you said something there, Danny, deciding to do something. How how does a teacher decide to do something with the language? What is that what is that crucial moment when a teacher knows, like, okay, now I need to do something with this? That that's what we wanted that I think that's why it's taken so long for anyone to really jump in and say <laughs> let's do a book on emergent language because mm. it's so big um right. so and we, re we realized as we started writing like, it's like yeah. there, was, there were times when we felt a little bit lost in what we were going to include in council yeah because yeah. those questions are so hard to answer so we kind of went the other way about it by watching ourselves teach by recording lessons and watching my belief which I didn't know existed but it must mm. work it must be a belief, it's certainly a practice, was that I waited for moments of miscommunication, moments mm. students weren't sure about what they wanted to say, or I could see other people weren't sure about what they wanted to say. So I could see that I was regularly pushing the conversation forward. Any little right. gap they had, I was pushing it forward, and I was ignoring articles and prepositions and ED endings, and, and just not really bothered about the, the little stuff. And so I figured to myself, right, so that's my, that's what I'm going for. So what we, but that's not going to be everybody's mm. belief mm. or it's right. not going to be everybody's role because of the kind of school they're working in, if they've got exams, if they've got targets. So we made a list of, I think, nine, nine reasons mm. that we've seen people working with emergent language. What we recommend is that teachers in the same schools, in the same context, just get together and discuss what they think 
mm. are the priorities. So um, for me, it was language that caused miscommunication, repeated issues. If I was hearing the same thing again and again, I would deal with it. And very often dealing with intuition. I was just like, oh, that's interesting. I like that. That's worth sharing. Weirdly, we were finding we were dealing with quite high frequency mm. language, which I guess probably is an experience thing. Because mm. you kind of know what your learners at that level need. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And you know, that's one of the questions that new teachers have, mm. isn't it? You know, that they say, "Well, it's difficult. To, it's difficult to do it because I don't yeah. know what." what... Mm. And it, it is to start with, mm. but it's it's only by by kind of you know jumping in really and and starting to to work with it that you're mm. actually going to improve yeah. it. Really, you know? I'll use one of your techniques right here. Can you give us an example of 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 a uh... of a uh, of a, a high level high high frequency word that you'd be or a phrase that you'd be looking for for a specific profile of students gosh difficult to think on the spot because there's so many moments aren't there that mm. come up um there's something i'm afraid about i'm afraid about yes. i'm worried about what, oh yeah that's right because that's come up a few times it yeah. must be from italian i think so yeah two, two different italian mm. speakers we found this with and it was uh yeah he was trying to say uh I, i'm my parents were worried about worried me. about and and oh afraid about he was yeah. trying to yeah so he said i'm afraid about but he wanted to say my parents are worried about me because mm. there's, there's kind of difference in in degree of intensity yeah. of that. Yeah. And right. and so watching it, there's sort of knowledge that okay, we decided it's worried about, and the teacher teaching the lesson it's worried about, but you can't articulate why until you get it. And, and because of the book, we I sort of went into it and said, oh, what afraid about isn't that isn't that common actually? Uh, worried about is really really common. You know, you can be afraid mm. about someone. Mm. Um, so it's been it's kind of been sensitive to the language that happens in the discourse right. mm-hmm. uh, and then thinking about what's appropriate or more or more appropriate and then that will when there's danger in saying that because what's appropriate somewhere is 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 inappropriate somewhere else yeah. or mm-hmm. not as appropriate so i think it's you know very much the point we'd like to make it is very much based on the teacher and the context right and where you are and that was a really interesting thing we've seen in observing ourselves and other experienced teachers and, and having all this data um, so experienced teachers for us were people who've been teaching for kind of over mm. 10 years, very often saying things like, oh, I think I would say <laughs> they were never going. No, you can't say that. Right. It, it was all about making people just mean better. Right. Like um, hedging it better. Hedging it better. Yeah. It's, hedging it better. Very, very hedged, wasn't it? Yeah. 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 So there was sort of there was no strict. None, I never saw a strict corrector of all the people mm. we Interesting. Uh, were watching. And, and or, or things like, well, you can say. Yeah, was the other yeah. thing. So providing the providing the alternative. Yeah, you yeah. might hear people say that, but I think mm. I think this would be more common. So right. there's a lot of intuition there, but the mm. intuition seemed to be right, and that perhaps we may be kind of trying to go down a path where we're teaching the unteachable. Mm. That you gradually get an intuition for it. It's feeling yeah. like, well, that sounds better. And the, um, the only way to develop that intuition is actually investigating it and reflecting yeah, yeah, on it, yeah, yeah. and then and and you know discussing it with colleagues, monitoring mm. yourself and considering it, mm. and bit by bit uh, trying it until you yeah, actually develop yeah. that uh, right. internal yeah. intuition for it. So you're kind of doing the same thing that the students doing, learning the language. You get a load of teachers together saying, "What do we do? What do we focus on? Do you think we should be focusing on something else? Do you think we could do this better, more, quicker?" And, and I think that's what seem to happen so getting all the IH I did a session with some some of the teachers who've been working here over the summer and they had to decide what would make them 
uh, work with a bit of language. And they were talking about, well, definitely if I notice a gap, if they can't say what they want to say, definitely if I want to keep the conversation going. They And they were deciding on sort of similar things. Mm. Mm. I think that yeah. just... But then saying, but just keep listening and, and record yourself and see what happens. And on the back of that, interestingly, um, you know, that we've got quite a, a group of newer teachers at the moment, which is really nice to have some fresh mm-hmm. blood in the staff room. Little emergent language nerds. Absolutely. We've created. <laughs> we've created. So basically on the back of your session and uh, knowing that me and Danny have been going on about this and the book's coming out, they've, they've set up a little group. So they're meeting mm-hmm. once a week. And we've given them some tasks from the book and there's two kind of group leaders yeah. who are organising and there's some dialogic reflection tasks that we've, we've included in the book that kind of focus on sort of stimulated recall of things that happen in class and then examining and exploring those and then giving them some frameworks about, um, about how you can talk with colleagues about, mm-hmm. about, about things that emerge in class or critical incidents that happen mm. in class. Let's talk about the genesis of the book then. Um, I'd love to hear you guys speak more about how you had the idea for the book when did you have this idea and why did you decide to write a book on emergent language i mean it's probably like a follow-up to teaching unplugged i guess i think that's great that's a great book and, and we certainly uh, looked at that one um it's, it's quite different i think it's really different yeah yeah, yeah um do, do you want to how do we go about what how well, did it start we suppose, came from yeah. different angles so mm-hmm. um for me it was i because i was working so much with emergent language and I, I, I realized over time that uh, my first book rules to reasons was was very much about emergent it was just emergent views of language and right emergent definitions of meanings and and all the activities I've got in the book are so students can play with language and I can deal with what's coming out of it and and so I just I just got interested in how I was dealing mm. with it because I'd been listening to myself deal with it but then my colleague at King's at the time, Nick Anden, said, well, it'd be really interesting to video some more teachers and let's just find out what they're doing because nobody's telling anyone how to do it. Mm, right. So let's just find out what experienced teachers were doing. Can we identify best practice? And I don't think we have identified best practice. We've identified some good practice. practice. Good, yeah. yeah, good practice. Or, or things and, that people do. Yeah. And patterns and themes. Right. Um, and so I just started annotating hours of people teaching came up with a a, a list of well and and taken from other research into into corrective feedback and things like that and interactional research by Walsh and and came up with a list of 10 ways that teachers intervene during Mm. emergent language moment and moments and just think this is worth sharing and then you were doing something else. Yes, I mean, I mean, it, like you, you know, emergent language went back a, a long way for me. It's something that interested me when I realised that that's what I was working with in class. And um, me and Melissa Lamb, uh, my colleague here, we did a talk on it at a conference in Birmingham uh, back in, I think, 2013, 14. And we wrote a blog post on it with some practical ideas for teachers that came out of the, the workshop that we did at this uh, conference. Um, and so been, we've been, you know, we talk about it on training courses quite a lot, especially mm-hmm. things like Delta. I've been, been coming into CELTA as well. And then I was I was doing my MA at King's uh, College, where I'm now working as a teaching associate and Danny was previously. And um, I didn't really know what to do with my dissertation. I couldn't really think of anything. So I actually went back to look at some of the things that I'd done before and looked into. Mm-hmm. And it was, I think we went to the pub one night, didn't we? We went off to, all, you know, all ideas come from. And I was yep. like, I think I want to go back and look at emergent language, but I'm really interested in how do we help more experienced teachers with it so for example you know 
uh, teachers on on Delta courses, for ex for example. So uh, I did. I, I had a look at um, uh, you know how could we develop a, a different training ideas uh, and integrate them into uh, a Delta program, and that really was kind of how it all came together. So yeah. Danny had this background of looking at what teachers were doing. Um, I was looking obviously at what emergent language was, but really how teachers could monitor their own mm. development in it. And then the two things yeah, it's huh. like, seem to fit. It's like, Rich, I've got a taxonomy. You've got a roadmap. <laughs> should we get them together? <laughs> should we get it together? <laughs> and what was, the, uh, what was the process like? Did you guys start it from like, did you sit down together? Was it an empty page? Was it bits and pieces that you've noted throughout the the months or observations and you kind of like put it all together what was the process i'm very interested in how people mm. put together a book that's something that i'm really fascinated by we, my, we very the, much my first experience yeah. doing anything well we had yeah. chapter titles really quickly because yeah. okay. firstly what is it yeah. <laughs> and why uh kind of yeah. sort of sold themselves as titles and then and you know so what do teachers do with it and when should they do things but i think because you had mm. tasks you had so many tasks that mm. trainers were were teachers in training were able to do uh, you kind of first took Started on the, sort of the practical yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. and i wrote around the taxonomy and sort of saying okay this is what teachers are doing this is when they're doing it so we kind of put two chapters together quite quickly and, th and then it was a case of i think we, we swapped quite a lot and yeah. then we went we, we took we took charge of a chapter each but then there's a lot i mean it's very much both of ours. It's very, we both mm, looked yeah. at each other's stuff a lot. And there was mm. one chapter that really just, it was the hardest one was chapter two, wasn't it? Which yeah. is about the, the kind of the theory behind it and mm. the grounds for working on emergent language, because it's right. so big, you know, some of the things that, you know, you really big ideas that you were, you were looking at, you know, and very mm. much influenced, you know, by people like Michael Long and the work of uh, Leo Van Leer. Yeah. Dogma seems to have, have taken that mm. from it initially. Um, and, you know, looking at things more ecologically and at your know, perspectives. And how do you mm. how do you make that nice and simple for teachers to understand and not that, bore that them was, to death? That, that, that was the interesting <laughs> thing about how we work together. So Richard's kind of showing. So Richard's going, Van Leer, Van Leer. And it's like, Rich, Rich, what the teachers? Underrated. Van Leer is underrated. Very underrated. Yeah, absolutely. But it's true. It's so, true. And the process was, you know, how to stop it looking like, you know, for me, I just finished doing, you know, a couple of years before finished doing my you know, writing a dissertation and, and, and then then beginning to mark dissertation. So my, my, you know, the stuff I was reading as well, academic papers, it's how does it not sound like that? And how, how does the, so Danny having, you know, written a book previously yeah, yeah. and gone through the process was really good at um, toning me, helping me tone my voice down and, which, and change it. Which I had to do when I did Rules to Reasons. The editor yeah, just, right. you're not talking to people at King's anymore. <laughs> teach talk to the teachers and it's so much now you get I, I feel my voice is so much nicer when i write for teachers mm, and, and you yeah yeah change that a little bit absolutely yeah. but it's, i mean so it's first thing i mean you know i've written an awful lot i've done a lot of training workshops but it was it was a, a real experience but i enjoyed it and we did it really rather quickly we did it within yeah. nine months nine it? months yeah, yeah. and nine uh, months yeah wow. so it's been ready for quite a while we just wait it's just gone to yeah the last stages of, of of printing and we've gone mm -hmm. through we had a brilliant yeah. editor penny hands yeah, who was great. wonderful really really uh just asked great questions didn't she and and when she didn't understand something and it was like you're absolutely yeah, right yeah that's really <laughs> unclear um yeah. so we're very lucky to have her as well in the writing at the end of the writing yeah, process absolutely. Yeah, and, and you guys mentioned something that there's not a lot of research out there on emergent language or working with it so what research is out there on mm -hmm. emergent language i think you mentioned something danny about rod ellis i think he wrote a paper on focus and form a while ago that's mm -hmm. right yeah, yeah. he yeah, supports yeah. this idea and yeah <clears throat> 
and correction he's written on as well yeah. in, in a lot yeah. of detail. So people like Long and Ellis are giving kind of theoretical underpinnings for sort of how you might work with it. We've had to draw a lot on literature about corrective feedback because that's that's where there is a big body mm, of work, mm, mm, but mm, it mm. tends to be about should it be explicit or not explicit. Um, do recasts work or or is it better to mm. do it immediately or delayed? So you've kind of got this niche that's not quite what we're saying because we're also talking about mm. saying, oh, another way you could do that is. Um, mm. That's really pop up, does it? Yeah, that, that bit? yeah. yeah. So we drew on Walsh as well. So Walsh's mm. um, classroom interactional competence yeah, framework. Yeah, yeah, we, yeah. We, we, a lot, a lot mm. of stuff from Walsh actually. And um, I mean, there was there's some interesting things that we found. We looked at, into sort of researching mm. to focus on form. There was a really interesting paper. Is it 2018? By uh, two Iranian scholars called Galemi and Galemi, mm, yeah. and uh, they found out something really uh, rather obvious, but it's nice to hear it. Which is basically, there's a lot of student uptake when students ask questions mm -hmm. on focus on form moments. Yeah, mm. uh, but we find that the, the term focus on form can be is quite a confusing term, yeah. and we've decided yeah. as, as you're laughing, yeah. and, and I think it's not very teacher friendly. So we 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 no. we think emergent mm. language sounds yeah. the metaphor of it. Uh, sounds a lot more palatable to teachers as yeah, well. Yeah, mm. I think there will be people who read it saying oh, you're just talking about focus on form, and it's like, yeah, we're giving it a better name. Yeah, <laughs> so, and, and, and depends on. But they're not the audience. They are not the audience. Yeah. No. No. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Um, wow. Um, I wanted to. I want to talk about Van Leer because I remember when I had a conversation with Scott. We talked a lot about Van Leer. Mm. But I don't think we should because I don't know. I find his writing. <laughs> I find his writing very difficult to. Yes, I'm the same. That Are you the same? The okay. Semiotics and yes, you know, yes, the ecology and all that. Yeah, it's really, really difficult to understand. So we'll save that for another time. Several times that one. But I think <laughs> yes. that's where we've been a yeah. good team because you're a fast reader. You do you think? I don't know. I, I the the dread for me would be when I get a text from Richard. And it'd be sort of like, <laughs> I've written a thousand words. And I'm like, oh my god! What, what what's, what's in those what's in those, those thousand words? Like, because you will get it and synthesize it. And I'm kind of like, hold on. So what? So he's saying, what? <laughs> yes. Yeah, I I really read slowly and question it. So. Yeah. I think you were quite good at kind of you'd explain to me what he meant. Yeah. Like, oh, let's say it like this then. Because oh. I don't think he ever used the word emergent language, but he used no, the term emergent. emergent a lot. He used no, the he, words he, emergent. He does use the term emergent language. He does. In the chapter on affordances and emergence. Right, so affordances. That's yes, that's the one. I can see yeah. the page. Yeah. <laughs> and that's because that's when I got excited when I found that, because it was like, right, okay, we've, we're working with something. And it very much talks about, you know, things like, around at the time sort of like chaos theory and, and other mm -hmm. other ideas yeah uh, that, that feed into this and the kind of what is the nature of of learning itself and you know the metaphor of emergence i think you know as i think mm. scott said at, at some point that you know we're using emergent language in a different sense to the term of emergence in in psychology and language learning but it's certainly got something to do with it yeah, yeah. Know, in terms of emergent grammar or, or joan bybee's stuff on on the emergent lexicon i think these ideas do feed into mm -hmm. the concept of working with what comes up in the classroom right as a result mm -hmm. and you both said that it's it can be quite difficult for for people to actually work with emergent language again as you said it's a very difficult skill to master specifically for um new teachers specifically teachers in pre-service courses so how do you think new teachers can actually start working with emergent language? What would be the starting point for people who want to move away from a more prescriptive type of teaching and work with a more reactive form of teaching? 
little changes to certain mm. activities. So, mm. I mean, you might just say to someone, extend your lead in. You know, if you're going to do a brainstorming activity, um, brainstorm 10 words, but make sure that they're exactly what the learners want to say. You know, how would they say it? Mm. If they're doing a reading, maybe get rid of the detailed reading task and just, so let's say you gave them a, a restaurant review. Say, you know, get mm. rid of the, what kind of restaurant is it? How many dishes have meat in them? How much, what's the most expensive dish? No, would you eat here? Why? And why? Yeah. Just let them talk about that. So they're doing exactly what they're sort of, the, the, maybe the course book is suggesting, but mm -hmm. they're, just, they're just giving themselves opportunities to listen to what the students are saying. Mm. And it's a more authentic response to a yeah, text, yeah, 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 you know, yeah. to often, you know, even the display text mm, that you yeah, have in course yeah. books. But that certainly opens up space, mm. doesn't it? And we've suggested as well that if you can, get your phone out and listen and, and record the students doing that. Right. And then go home and think, OK, what could I have helped them with? Um, so they're, so they're, they're, we're, we're training them to listen first, react much later. You know, right. Because I think, you know, I... I've only stopped doing this very recently, this thing about walk, ar walk around in CELTA with a pad noting down the errors. And it's kind of like, that's really hard yeah, thing yeah. to do because you're, no, you're noting yes. down the errors and thinking, why is that wrong? And now you're not listening anymore. You're just looking at a sentence. Yeah. Thinking, what am I going to do with this? And then... <laughs> And, and, that's it, and, that's yeah. it. and I think that the key thing, you know, one of the activities that we'll talk about in the webinar as well is basically just noting down what the students mm -hmm. are talking about. So the feedback on content has to come first because yeah, it's that I creating that, that right. meaning mm -hmm. focus mm -hmm. that then uh, possibly allows space for, for, for to work on language. You know, mm -hmm. we're saying things to, to, to um, trainees like, well, just put, try putting one thing on the board, yeah. you know, as, yeah. as it's going yeah. along. You know, tr just try one thing. Don't, don't try and put everything on there. Don't mm. listen for everything. Mm. Yeah. And the more confident you get, obviously, you start working with it in open class. And yeah. I've got to say, you know, I, I don't get in the classes, classroom as much as I'd like to at the moment. Mm. I did, did um, cover a, a week of classes a couple of weeks ago. And I wasn't, I think it's pandemic and everything online. You can hear everything on Zoom really mm. clearly in a mm. breakout room and make your notes, you know, discreetly and whatever. And I, in a, confronted with a, a room of, you know, 15 very noisy intermediate international students, I was really struggling to hear what they were saying. So, you know, I think with the experience, then you're able to deal with, with emergent language much more in open class feedback mm, as well. Yeah. But that is, it is about building up that confidence to do yeah. that. But it's the listening first, as we talked yeah. about before. Yeah. yeah. So I think that the rationale for the book is kind of, this will speed up the process, we think. It won't... Mm. Yeah, it's still going to take time. It's really right. a support book, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. I'd say so. Yeah, mm. yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I think also watching other teachers as mm. well, um, mm. and, as and talking to colleagues as well about mm. it. Yeah. Okay. Okay. How would you suggest you know, linking back to the you know the class is an hour or whatever, and the class is over? How does or if you know emergent language can apply to you know lots of things happen now asynchronously when the teacher is not there. Mm you know, tasks to do at home, homework, or just do this before our next class kind of thing. How do, how can we encourage students to recognize their own quote unquote emergent language as they're practicing outside of class? Or even gaps, right, Andrew? Yeah. Or even gaps. Yeah. Yes. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. oh, there's quite, I mean, there's some interesting tools, aren't there, that you can use. There's something called, uh, you know, Flipgrid, if you come across that. Yeah. And I, I haven't used it extensively, but I've used mm -hmm. it once with students. It's really nice that they send you the little videos that they've rehearsed or, or you know, or they've they had to go out mm -hmm. once and, and sent to you and I think that kind of thing can give you some data to work mm -hmm. with as well um 
I think I think it, even mm. something as simple as as take photos of things. I always like this. Mm. We we had done a lesson on on um, we'd done a lesson with quite low levels on superlatives, and I'd been saying you know superlatives not just because it's the number one thing. You're often selling something, <laughs> and, and so you're you know go and see if you could go out and find some examples. A, a student came back a couple of days later and he showed me his phone and he'd taken three pictures of posters for musicals. Mm. And it said, a lot of best musicals in that's, London. That's great, isn't it? And mm. he said, that, yeah, it's not one, is it? There's lots of them. And, and it's, they're mm. advertising. It's, and so right. he's seeing it all the time. And yeah. um, so you can kind of get them mm. to sort of notice, I think, notice what they've learned. Go and find this now. See for yourself. I think mm. there's, there's a good bit of learner training that you can do in the classroom mm. as well. And you know those old things you used to get in, in like, uh, I don't know, what books were they? Like um, Cutting Edge and there'd be a book on how to keep a vocabulary mm, notebook. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. You know, taking that idea, but actually looking at what, what happens on the board and what you put mm. down in, in your in your diaries. And this class I was teaching recently, and it's the most recent one I can remember, you know, we spent a bit of time, you mm. know, actually talking about, okay, what's on the board? Why am I highlighting this? What should you write down in your book? How can you practice it when you go home? And then the next day, not just letting it just drift away, but then maybe looking at your notes, looking at your picture of your board, and then picking out what do you think are the most useful, which, you know, which phrases have got the highest surrender value that you think the learners will find useful in the future. And then going back and, and letting that resurge in the, in, in the next lesson, you know, to emerge right. resurgence, which my friend, I've, I've nicked off Katie Kelly, a colleague of ours. <laughs> <laughs> it, it's, it's funny you say that because um, yes. <laughs> emergence resurgence you said I, I like that <laughs> I I have an interesting question to ask you because I I've recently started learning Turkish and my teacher is not really good because he's basically teaching me a lot of Turkish grammar and I said I don't want to learn the grammar I want to be able to communicate with you but the teacher's like oh but you don't know any Turkish I said I know a few phrases I know a few things mm. so my question to you is can you work with emergent language when you are basically teaching a class with beginners, lower levels, or even, I don't know, a lot of teachers say, oh, but I work with teenagers. I work with like young learners. Is emergent language possible within those scenarios in these contexts? So there's, there's two two things there. So um, low levels, for so, sure. so lower levels for sure. I think it's it's all emergent at lower yeah. levels actually. Yeah. You know, exactly. Doing That's it. what I told her. Yeah. And I remember being when I went to Costa Rica. Um, uh, were you in Kepos when you were in Costa Rica? Did you ever go there? It's like Manuel and National Park. Beautiful. Oh yeah. And the, Beautiful. the language school was was on a balcony looking out onto the rainforest, and there was like you know iguanas and things and huge incredible birds and uh, it was wonderful and we, we sat that outside brilliant you know. sorry you had to <laughs> i know it's awful really that. awful but and what was great about it and, and i i was still doing my ppp lessons and, and on the project when i was showing other people what i'd learned on my uh, initial teacher training qualification ppp and i hadn't picked up on what the teacher was actually doing there were conversation driven lessons and the, you know, the, the teacher, one day, the other student who she was a really bright Swiss girl who was better than me. And, and I found her quite annoying because I wasn't I couldn't quite keep up with the conversation. And she wasn't there one day. And I had a brilliant conversation one to one with the teacher who was just fantastic. And she just I wanted to talk about politics. I didn't want to learn to talk about you know the story, the fairy tale that was in the course book that they created, because that was, you know, really not stimulating for me at all. So we talked about politics, about Costa Rica with my pre-intermediate Spanish at a pretty low level. And she just basically reformulated and stopped and looked at pieces of language and grammar that came right. up as and when it, mm -hmm. and that was much more memorable to me because I was writing that down in my notebook. We often call these the, the, the notebook moments in a class where mm -hmm. you notice the students all 
write something down because it's new and it's interesting mm-hmm. for them. And it's back to that point about, you know, that Danny mentioned that Rod Ellis says it's, there's more chance of that sticking yes. if there's that kind of investment yeah. in, mm-hmm. in it or interest in it. It's incidental yeah. as opposed to intentional. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. exactly. Your question, though, I think is with lower levels is if we could strip the grammar out of low level syllabuses, I think there'd be so much more progress because it is all about Lexis. Mm-hmm. And Reach out for the grammar. Every, every time a student says, teacher, what, what, what <clears throat> this? You're like, oh, what's, what's this? You give them the word and then you write, okay, here's the question. What's this? Mm-hmm. How do I say mm-hmm. this? So you notice two things. They don't know what the word means, but they don't know how to ask what the word means. Exactly. And so, you know, that's, that's two things they've learned straight away. And that just has to happen all the time. I, and it, it just lends lexical itself, syllabus. Absolutely. Really. And it lends itself just to, to, to quite natural practice mm. of it. Right. Bouncing yeah. straight back to the students. I think that's the thing with emergent language. It's not mm. only just putting things on the board and leaving it there. Mm. It is about what you do, what you do with it afterwards and working with it, not just recycling it, but giving them some a chance of practicing mm. some articulation with it, doing a little bit mm. of memory work with it, mm-hmm. you know, coming back after the break and rubbing out half of the collocations or the right. chunks you've got on the board and then seeing if the students can remember it. Mm. So I, I think, think Willis does a lot of work with that. Mm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. A different contexts, mm. right? Like instead of just flipping the page in the book and moving on to the now the, on to the next thing, like what's this is for a low level like a perfect question. Like we talked to Chris uh, Jacobs before mm-hmm. about flow, who does a lot of work with flow, and he gave this task for low. Like he teaches French, A A one French, and he said, "Okay, back to school." So we're going back to school shopping, and we're going to do back to school for for clothes, but clothes for different occasions. So on Monday we do back to school shopping for clothes for school and then the next day is clothes for going out and the next day is clothes for so you get to recycle and all of the the phrases mm-hmm. and the, but you slightly yeah. change the context yes. which means a little bit it's a little mm-hmm. differentiation instead of moving mm-hmm. on dramatically you get you equip the student with these phrases mm-hmm. that are applicable to That's all these nice. different contexts adding you know in, in task based learning a little bit of complexity yes. a little bit yes. of difference mm-hmm in what they actually have to do but largely mm-hmm. it's the same we've thing. got this lovely script in this book that came from a recording by a teacher called richard gallan who teaches esol um, mostly migrant a lot of bangladeshi uh, learners and i mean in a way you could look at it and think okay so you've taken about five minutes to teach the difference between refund and exchange but it's all come from the learners mm-hmm. um and it's just a dialogue about what happens when you go to the market and you want to get your money back and they say no and mm-hmm. and they're asking for guidance on what you actually do at the market but Richard's just feeding in all these expressions like oh you mean get your money back oh no no that's exchanges change the color he's he's mm-hmm. just upgrading all the time mm, I like that and so you're it, almost like feeding the language back yeah so yes, the feedback yeah. becomes this feed forward yeah, yeah feed forward yeah. and feedback feed forward yeah. and feedback yeah. yeah, they're trying to tell stories. I, I remember this in Argentina when I did some Spanish classes and it's about letting people say what they want to say. This is so memorable. We'd been given homework where we had to do presentations on comparatives and you had to compare your home country with Buenos Aires. And I figured everyone was going to talk about food or the weather. So I did the Mr. Muscle adverse <laughs> and your Mustolo. And so in, in, UK, <laughs> in, in UK at the time, Mr. Muscle was sort of a weedy guy with glasses. They've always got glasses, the weedy guys. And, you know, it was the power of the 
the product <laughs> that cleans. You didn't have to be strong. But Senor Musculo in, in Buenos Aires is, is really muscly. <laughs> so I was looking up all words like in, in Inglaterra, debil. And then I did this presentation on the two Mr. Muscles. <laughs> and the teacher at the end said, uh, good, but I wanted you to talk about food. <laughs> And I, I just thought, but I've learned loads of words. Mm. Uh, <laughs> and that, I mean, that's the emergent process, isn't it? It's all the stuff that you need to be able to say. So, you, you know, if you're doing yeah, it on your own, you yeah. don't look it up or you ask somebody. And mm. I think that's, that's, and also, you know, we said it's often high frequency things we work on. It's really not always, mm. you, know, um, yeah. very, you know, very often it's, you teach things in emergent language that you'd never find in a course, but because yeah. that's what the students want to say in that moment. Yes. Um, mm. You know, uh, loads, loads of really, really, you know, bit, bits of language. And they're often the bits, I think my, my own Spanish learning as well. Mm. Would, you, would you say? Yeah, you remember, yeah, yeah, yeah. You remember those words. I mean, I yeah. think, hey, God, some of the things I know in Spanish that yes, are yeah. really odd things to know. <laughs> yeah. Because they be, they, they became kind of fascinating to me. Mm. You know. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Yeah. I well, I asked um, our audience on Instagram and YouTube to send us questions because they knew that we we're going to be interviewing you guys today. So one of the questions that I received, actually, a lot of questions about the same specific topic. Um, a lot of non-native speaker teachers, mm -hmm. a lot of people whose English is not their first language, they keep saying to us that if you are a non-native speaker of English, you cannot work with emergent language. A lot of people say that you need to have a very high degree of language awareness mm -hmm. to work with emergent language. So I'd love to hear your take on mm -hmm. this one. It's what one we've heard a lot, and it came up in my dissertation as well. And yeah, every talk we've done, it, we get asked. You know, yeah. and and actually, I mean, it's 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 actually. What I found in my research is that it's it's not just because you don't have English as a first language that struggle with it. It's it's the so-called native speaker teachers that yeah. have just as many problems because mm -hmm. it's it's how to deal with it in the moment and and they're you know maybe not sensitive to what to pick up on. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, no, I, th I think it's you know you can and the teacher strives to help the learners wherever they can from wherever mm -hmm. they are in their own mm -hmm. language development themselves. Mm -hmm. And often you know we find that non, non you know teachers who don't have English as a as a, a first language. You know, sort of have a better mm, ear for what the student mm, needs uh, and so what we noticed is that um native speaker teachers or mo people who were monolingual more than anything else so they'd never been through the yes, process yeah. of learning a language mm. they would upgrade kind of way beyond what the learner was really trying to say or, or very dramatic or, language or really, that's really not that useful yeah yeah, yeah. so the same thing so a student might say something like oh, i was so tired so i I had a little sleep. Oh, you had 40 winks. Right. Okay. Okay. Well, what's that? <laughs> so these pre intermediate where, learners really needed that, you know. <laughs> where, where, where yes. Yeah. 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 Whereas the, the, the teachers whose who's first language wasn't English would, would sort of go, oh, okay. So I, so you, you had a nap. You know, they, they right. would, they're, they're much more, it's much more appropriate, I think. Right. Mm. And we interviewed because we we had to answer this question in the book, mm. and actually we've closed the book with the answer. Oh, because, okay. Um, we we just got a teacher um, who um, she's she's a, a Russian teacher, um, and she talked about how going through the process of learning the language really tuned her into what she thought mm. people needed. But she said also being bilingual. She spends ages in her life with other people who speak her language saying, no, you'd say it like this. And she said, <laughs> I constant, I'm constantly dealing with language and misunderstanding in my life. If I didn't speak another language, I wouldn't be able to do that. Right. So that ear as a learner and as someone who's used to interacting mm. um, 
in two languages, the, the feel and the ear for what's needed is much more pronounced. Mm, interesting. And, and so actually, we, it's, there are disadvantages. Of course, you may have a smaller lexical range. You mm -hmm. may be sure. You mm. certainly lack confidence, I think, especially mm -hmm. when you're being trained yes, and, yeah, yeah. and under the mic, the feeling under the microscope. It's, but the yeah. feeling is so much more pronounced. I mean, one of the stories we talk about in the book is is uh, so, someone who is uh, a trained school teacher in mm. Colombia, um, came to do a CELTA over here after finishing their master's at King's. And, uh, you know, interestingly, was very used to working with target language and very mm. confident we were working with target language. Mm. As soon as it came to the idea of emergent language, it was like, oh gosh, this is, the, uh, it hadn't been introduced. So it was something new right. actually outside, you know, your, mm. your routines and your uh, area of, of experience, mm. I think, you know, and I think that's also what's frightening for teachers. And that, that would go for, you know, teachers who have English mm. as a first mm. language or whatever language they're teaching as a first mm. language. Um, and that's what was revealed by the worries about the teachers that, yeah. that I interviewed uh, for my dissertation. So actually oh. we found that on balance, it was, there were worries yeah. on both sides yeah. and, and, and all valid. But really going through the process of working on uh, developing your, your, your reactive skills is the, it has the, the same, same effect. It's the, yeah. Yeah. Mm. Yeah, yeah. Mm. So everybody's echoing yeah. what the students are saying. And, uh, but mm. in terms of sort of reacting to really what's being said, yeah, one's, one certainly has a better ear, but another has a, maybe a better store. Yeah. And mm. both need to look at the language that's mm. emerged and analyze that language and, yeah. and look at it for its usefulness. Mm. Um, mm -hmm. So that the learning comes through, you know, language awareness yeah. comes through that, yeah. that exercise as well, mm. which we've all gone through, you know, we've all had yeah. to go through that process in one yeah. way or another. Yeah. Yeah. It sounds like it's, it's like a muscle, right? You just need to, you need to build it and you need to practice like every, mm. everything that's brand new that I've never tried before. It's scary and intimidating, but if, if we practice and put in the work, it sounds like you can get better at it. Yeah, yeah. The emergent language muscle. It's very, <laughs> very strange. That's the, the, the next book. <laughs> ELM. 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 Yeah. ELM. Yeah. Yeah. Different in Argentina. Yeah, yeah. Um, well, I think this is a very good. Since this is the last chapter of the book, um, I feel like this is going to be the last chapter of our interview for today. Mm -hmm. But we always have one final question. Um, it's what I call a rapid fire question. It's very scary. And it's a very scary question. Yeah, but you guys don't have to worry about it. Just whatever emerges naturally from your go <laughs> with that. But it's just a very simple question that I like to ask um, everyone that comes on the podcast. And it's a very simple one. If you guys could have a gigantic billboard anywhere, anywhere in the world with anything on it, could be something, you know, a message, any message to out to millions of people, billions of people, what would it say and why? Could be a few words, could be a paragraph, could be a phrase. A fine question. And it doesn't have to be related to language teaching, or it could be anything, anything. And I think this works on different levels for me. Mm. For me, it'd be take your time and listen. Yeah. I think that works, certainly works with what we're talking about today, but I think in, in life in general, I think mm. maybe advice for myself that I need, I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I sort of want to say something inspiring. Be nicer, is that? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, my first thought was buy our book. Yes, <laughs> that's okay too. Should come with that. Well, one. we can talk about that too. <laughs> I thought you were going to have a Mr. Muscle billboard or something. Well, yeah, 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 yeah. Before yeah. and after. Yeah. <laughs> so, so Mr. in UK is the strong version. They 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 beefed him up. They beefed him up. Yeah. Yeah. So okay, working with the emerging bring language. Back the old, bring back the old Mr. Muscle. There you go. <laughs> yeah. 
So working with emergent language ideas and activities for developing your reactive skills in class. When is the book out? Hopefully it'll be out right now as, as, as this is yes. going out. But uh, we'd love to know what you think. And we're, we're gonna, the link is in the show notes below, of course, as well right. for everybody. But just verbally, guys, where can, where can people find it? Oh, yes. Um, well, Pavilion, um, through the Pavilion website would be a great place to start. Pavilion ELT. Uh, Pavilion ELT. Um, it's great to buy from them, uh, independent publisher. Uh, British English Bookshop. Is it still called BBC? I can't yes, remember. The, 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 mm. the specialist English language uh, bookshop that's that's really, really good because they, they work with all the ELT publishers. Um, of course, there are bigger organizations that sell the book we don't have to name them yeah, you don't have to name them everyone knows who they are yeah um and uh, yeah all good bookshops i guess i guess yeah and we're excited yeah um richard denny thank you very much for your time thanks for coming yeah. on the show we appreciate it this was this was a great conversation great thanks very fun. much thank you really enjoyable You've been listening to Teacher Talking Time, brought to you by Learn Your English. Ready to take control of your education? You're in the right place. Teaching, professional development, learning. Expand your world with Learn Your English.